Hello and welcome to Hiker Trash. I'm your host, Dom Aprilli, trail name footage. This episode is sponsored by Garage Grown Gear. Garage Grown Gear sells wildly cool gear from small and startup outdoor companies. If you are looking for some great gear from some incredible brands, head on over to garagegrowngear.com and use the code HIKERTRASH at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. For episode 6, I interviewed Lloyd Vogel, CEO of Garage Grown Gear. As I'm sure you just heard, Garage Grown Gear is a sponsor of this podcast. If you are still unfamiliar with Garage Grown Gear, they are an online retailer that specializes in selling gear from small and startup outdoor companies. Lloyd reached out to me after hearing the first episode of Hiker Trash and said he was interested in becoming a sponsor, which makes sense considering this podcast is a kind of small startup as well. The intention of this podcast is not to exclusively interview through hikers, but to connect all types of people within the outdoor community. I asked Lloyd to come on the show to not only shed some light on the innovative outdoor retailer that is Garage Grown Gear, but to share his story and love for adventure that resonates with outdoor enthusiasts and through hikers alike. As a past thru-hiker listening to Lloyd's story, I couldn't help but realize the common trait shared between thru-hikers and entrepreneurs, and that is that they both require stubborn perseverance. So without further ado, here's what Lloyd had to say. Hi, my name is Lloyd Vogel. I'm the CEO of Garage Grown Gear and am based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Just give me a little bit of background on yourself, Lloyd. Sure. Um, Well... I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin originally, and uh, moved to St. Paul, Minnesota about 10 years ago to go to college and um, have been here ever since. Uh, I am currently the CEO of Garage Grown Gear, so that means I kind of handle everything from the day-to-day operations and order fulfillment and customer service to uh, thinking big picture about where Garage Grown Gear is going um, what brands we should be working with, what we should be focusing on, and kind of how best to uh, go about supporting the the small brands that we work with. So, um, yeah, uh, I joined Garage Grown Gear about a year ago. My background has not historically been in business, but in uh, in education. I was a high school special ed teacher for um, a number of years um, prior to this and have been a uh, backpacking and kayaking guide in the summers um, for the last, yeah, I guess ever ever since I graduated from high school. Um, so I always had a, a passion for the, out, for the outdoors, but um, until recently, haven't really figured out how to do that as a, as a, full-time, um, a full-time deal and uh, kind of how best to contribute to the, to the outdoor industry uh, until really connecting with Garage Grimier this past year. And uh, kind of everything has been a, a real learning process since then, since, uh, yeah, my background's not in business. It's, uh, it's in education and uh, in, uh, in guiding. Awesome. Can you tell me about that transition and how you went from special education to now in the business world? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I was teaching high school special ed and um, I, uh, I went to this uh, craft fair um, during uh, one of my summer vacations and there were just so many cool little brands that were being sold there. Uh, it wasn't particularly anything outdoorsy. It was mostly yeah, just different kind of crafts. But I thought how neat it would be to have a store full of things that you were really passionate about and that you really liked. And that at the same time represented and helped grow other small businesses. So, um, yeah, about two years ago, I started a company called Big Outdoors. Um and basically just bought a bunch of stuff that I liked from different small brands that I that I was already supporting 
started a website and started trying to sell things off of it. And, uh, yeah, you know, like learned a lot, uh, struggled a lot. Um, but eventually kind of found something that was kind of working and, uh, right at about at a point where I was feeling kind of good about where it was at. Um, I got approached by garage grown gear and, um, they were Amy who had founded garage grown gear had just had a kid and was kind of looking to step back from the role of running a startup. And, um, they were looking for either someone to start, um, running the company or to buy the company. And I, uh, wasn't in a position to be able to buy it, but I told them I could run it if they were looking for someone to, to take over in a leadership role. So, uh, yeah, we kind of like courted each other for about two weeks. I drove the 17 hours or so out to Idaho, um, where garage grown gear had been based and sat down with Amy for, for five days and kind of just like went through everything, um, try to see if it would be a good fit for, um, for her and I to be working together, but then also just with me and with garage grown gear. And ultimately it, uh, it ended up being a really good fit. So, um, that's kind of, uh, how I, how I found myself in the position that I'm in. Um, yeah, it's been a little bit of a, of a journey, but really a fun one. That's awesome. So how was it starting, uh, that original company for you, like taking a leap of faith and trying to build something off of your passion? Yeah. I mean, it was terrifying. Uh, I think like for all entrepreneurs, there's a sense of, you don't really know exactly what you're doing until you start doing it. And then, uh, as soon as you start doing it, you realize that there's a million other things that you should be doing and should have already had done. Um, and so when I started big outdoors, it was totally self-funded again, no background in business, uh, had never, you know, built a website before. I didn't even have an inst like a personal Instagram account, um, at that point. And so, uh, you know, like learning how to build a website and learning how to do social media and develop newsletter lists and, uh, find brands that even wanted to talk to me. Um, all of those things were pretty tough. Um, and, uh, so yeah, certainly like a lot of, a lot of mistakes, uh, kind of just really trying to put into kind of perspective that when you are trying to build something from nothing, that it just takes a long time. Um, especially when you're starting something without a lot of resources to back you up. Um, and something that is kind of experimental. There aren't a lot of retailers that, uh, work with small brands exclusively because the brands themselves are small. Um, so, uh, it is kind of a little bit of an un uncharted territory, uh, in terms of kind of that, that realm of, of, uh, of, online business. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just have to like ask a lot of questions and rely on a lot of people for help and, uh, kind of be forgiving towards yourself when you make mistakes or you make the same mistakes over and over. Uh, but eventually you learn and eventually what you're doing becomes better because of it. So yeah, definitely a leap of faith though. Yeah. As a through hiker, I can just kind of compare that to through hiking just because you have to just totally throw yourself in and learn as you go because nothing is actually going to prepare you to take on something so like grand and you're bound to just have to learn while you go. Yeah. You have to be willing to, to even start though, to be able to figure out what all those obstacles that are ahead of you even are. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's, there's a lot of parallels there. You can like read as many forms as you want, but uh, you know, <laughs> there's no equation that like perfectly, sets out how things are going to go and uh, what you need to do to get there. So did uh, Garage Grown Gear like acquire Big Outdoors or did you just kind of close it down and then move on to Garage Grown Gear because they had kind of similar 
missions? Yeah, it was a uh, it was technically a merger, but a merger really meant that we carried over a handful of brands that I was working with, Big Outdoors, and then kind of adapted them into Garage Grown Gear. Um, and uh, yeah, some like community overlap in terms of uh, you know having our our newsletters merge and some of those other kind of things that make small businesses run. Um, but yeah, essentially just closing down the outdoors and kind of transitioning whatever we felt like would be useful over to garage grown gear. So we definitely picked up and we already had some like brand overlap that we were working with some companies that I had been working with big outdoors that were also working with garage grown gear. So it was a, it was a pretty seamless transition in that regard. So I'm assuming you would count that as a win that, you know, you, you took a chance and you built this business on your own and then ended up kind of falling into a bigger one and being able to, to work and grow for them. And, still walking away from education and being able to, to work in a business where you're passionate about what you're doing in the outdoors. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it helps that, I mean, we're, um, the, the ideas of both businesses were very, are very similar, um, in terms of a desire to support what small businesses are doing within the outdoor space. And, uh, certainly being able to do it with garage grown gear just means like a lot, a lot larger of a platform to be able to, uh, to be able to broadcast, um, to broadcast from if that's like a blog post if that's an instagram post if that's uh you know a giveaway kind of whatever we do is now on a on a larger scale with garage grown gear and that's uh something that's powerful it's nice to know that when you put stuff out into the world that people are seeing it um and that the kind of the yeah the, the fruits of your labor are uh, are are being appreciated so yeah can you tell me about the mission of garage grown gear and, and kind of why why it was formed and what you guys aim to do? Yeah, so it really is at the crux of it, um, supporting outdoorsy startups, um, as well as kind of small to, to medium size outdoor brands as well. But it, uh, I like to kind of think of it as um, trying to create a space that's not just uh, a retail space, but also a platform being for being able to tell stories, be able to share gear reviews. Um, basically, as we call ourselves a, a voice for outdoor startups, so trying to be a, a spot where you can go and learn about new brands that you might not be familiar with, hear about their founders, um, find out interesting things about products that uh, maybe were recently off of Kickstarter or off Indiegogo. Um, and uh, I, I like very strongly believe that small businesses are the ones within the outdoor space that really drive innovation. Um, they're the, the, really the, the trendsetters who are doing it before the, the big box brands really pick up, pick up on the ideas, um, and are really the ones that, um, kind of pave the, the way for ideas to become more standardized. So we're, we're really looking to be able to support brands in developing those innovative products, uh, from the very, from the very start, um, because it's it's really hard, even if you have a really good idea, to get it in front of people. And uh, so I, I very much view our platform as the ability to go out and find interesting brands with interesting products and interesting stories and be able to put that in front of people, to be able to make that, that struggle and that grind just a little bit easier because there just aren't um, enough voices for for entrepreneurs in the outdoor space to really uh, be able to showcase their work and their products. How do these relationships happen between Garage Grown Gear and the the companies that you sell their products? Some of it is through connections with brands that we already have. Some of them is um, just by proximity. Um, you know, there's a lot of 
with garage grown gear being originally based out in the Tetons, um, in like the Driggs Victor area of Idaho, there's just a lot of, a lot of companies that are out in that space and like the Jackson area as well. So a lot of that is just kind of by having overlap in the, in the outdoor industry. Um, but a lot of it is by like, you know, going to trade, trade shows and forming connections with, with, uh, with people having intentional conversations. And then, uh, you know, at, at this point, we are very fortunate to have a lot of um, companies that approach us and are interested in working with us. Um, so a lot of that is kind of getting emails from brands that are that are looking for more exposure or are looking for a platform to be able to tell their story from. And you know, we do a lot of that too in terms of combing around through the internet and looking for new products that are coming out. Um, and so a bit of that is just uh, you know swapping emails and seeing who's kind of interested in. Uh, in uh in being a part of what garage grown gear does and then a, a lot of that does just kind of happen organically through through word of mouth or um or uh through you know positive experiences with other brands that we've worked with so we don't have like a um a totally firm set of criteria for when we're looking to take on a new brand like you know we're we work with brands that are uh you know very much still in their basement um, and they're creating, uh, you know, handmade, made to order products. And that's awesome. We also work with multimillion dollar companies that, uh, you know, at one point, um, were maybe in that basement space, but now have, uh, dozens of employees, but, uh, you know, still, still have that identity of a company that's very much true to its ideals. Um, and, uh, some of that is, is based on, um, so when we're looking for a new brand, some of that is based on looking at the size of the company, but some of it's also kind of about the the people who run it and how uh, attached they still are to the company. I think there's something to be said about um, supporting a small business rather than supporting a, and there's nothing wrong with like the Patagonias and Marmots and North Faces of the world. Um, you know, I, I have some of their products myself, um, but there is like a certain distance that those companies have from the people who started them um, from the ideas and the concepts that at one point made them really unique. Um, and that, yeah, you know, I have an idea of what North Face is and what Columbia is, but really all I have is an idea of what their marketing wants me to know. I can't, I don't really know what, what their, their brand is genuinely at the core, where if you look at a company like, um, I mean, we work with dozens of them, but, uh, you know, Superior Wilderness Designs comes um, to the front of my mind or a company like Thrupack, where, uh, you know, those are, those are, those are people who are, uh, you know, they, they live and dream and breathe their business. Uh, what they do is, uh, is for, is for their customers. They're creating products that are based on feedback from customers. Um, and that like the products that they're creating are the, the physical representations of their dreams, of their, of their innovation of, of, uh, of hours and hours of thought and, uh, and, days, weeks, and years of, of preparation. And I think that there's something really powerful about supporting those types of brands and supporting those types of, uh, of people that are really willing to, to put in the work to be able to create something that's really unique. So um, that's a pretty long-winded way of answering that question. But um, it, it, definitely, uh, it definitely comes from a, a point of passion for me. Um, and I think that that, that passion is something that is, is palpable um, in terms of how our, our brands represent themselves as well. And that, that, uh, is certainly a big facet of, of how we choose who we work with is that passion and how connected it is to the products that they're actually creating. 
I mean, that's that's great. Does it motivate you to be pushing out these products for people that are really like putting their blood, sweat, and tears into this just to get it off the ground? You know, is that um, is that a reward for you, knowing that you're helping these people kind of fulfill their business or entrepreneurial dreams? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I honestly feel so. Whenever we get an order, uh, it feels great because we like selling stuff and that's a big part of what we do, but it also feels great to, uh, uh, I mean, we, one of, we don't inventory a lot of our products. So when an order comes into garage grown gear, um, we, uh, notify the company that we work with that there's been an order for one of their products and that they need to ship it on off to our customer. So, uh, in that way, every single time that there's an order, I get to, to let the the company founder um, know that we've just sold one of their products, and that's a neat exchange because it feels like you know you you did whatever little part that that we do in terms of helping uh, float and support the companies that we're working with, um, and that feels really genuine and it feels personal. And we definitely have the the fortune and um, and privilege to really only be able to work with brands that we really want to work with. Uh, you know, no one is really really telling us who to work with or who to carry. Um, and that makes it a very personal um, experience. And that makes it personally rewarding and professionally rewarding, knowing that you get to have a, a part to play in, in other people's growth. Um, and it's neat seeing um, brands that you work with, even over the course of a year, really grow and expand. Uh, and that's a really cool thing to be able to be able to notice and see the brands that we work with get publicity on bigger media sources as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it, I really do think of Garage Grown Gear as as a real um, kind of family for uh, for these types of brands, um, and that it is kind of a, a sense of of communal success in some regards. Yeah, it sounds like a little thriving ecosystem of small brands, which is which is cool. Yeah. So how much has Garage Grown Gear grown since you've been involved? Um, a pretty good amount. Um, yeah, so I joined in with Garage Grown Gear in January of 2017. Um, and uh, we saw our, our, our break-even point this past year, which was really great. That's awesome. Congrats. Thanks, yeah. I think it's something that all, all startups you know, really strive for. In terms of a sense of okay, what we've got going on here is something that uh, that obviously has a place in the market because you know people are supporting it and we can support ourselves through it. Um, so that was that was a pretty big milestone. And then we we had a Kickstarter uh, this past August as well, which was like a, um, a pretty like galvanizing event for our community in terms of kind of getting the word out, but then also just kind of yeah, um, corralling support around the idea of supporting small businesses. Um, and then we've just seen our audience really, really grow over the course of the, of the last year. Um, uh, our, yeah, our, our community and our web traffic and kind of all of those metrics that, uh, people in e-commerce kind of geek out about are all things that have been really positive over the course of the last year. Um, we've seen our, our sales double continuously each year, and it looks like uh, we're on course so far this year to kind of exceed even our um, our more optimistic metrics. So uh, it's neat to see that there are other people that are 
similarly interested in supporting the kind of brands that we support and that there really is a, a movement behind intentional shopping uh, and intentional purchasing, especially um, on the Internet, where there are just a multitude of, of places to buy pretty much everything, even with the small brands that we support. You know, um, there are there are still uh, options in terms of where to purchase things, the types of things that you do purchase. And it's great to see that people um, also buy into the idea of supporting small businesses. Right. I think there's such a surplus of just products out there that it is important for businesses to to have a true kind of personality that people are drawn to and they actually can connect with because I mean otherwise you know you just you buy the cheapest item whatever it could be a piece of crap but um you know it, it's good to for companies to be transparent about what they're about and um for you to actually have an, an interest and actually care about the products that you're buying and where they come from definitely yeah. Uh, yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, and that I think it can be hard to sometimes find those intentional purchases with there being so much noise on the Internet. Um, you know, yeah, you can go onto Amazon and, you know, Amazon certainly has its its utility. Um, but, uh, you know, you can find cheap everything on Amazon. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily supporting a business that does things in the right way. But you're going to be able to find something that's cheap and you're going to be able to find it easier. So I guess what what we are ultimately trying to do is create a platform where people can find um, products from really innovative small small brands and do that uh, more easily than they could without us. What do you think the importance is of small and startup companies in the days now that Amazon does exist? Yeah, I think it's... um, well, I think a lot of it is just to, to push back on the notion that there's a single way to do things and that um, that Amazon is like the sole uh, way of, of progress. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, I think there is something to the to the efficiency that Amazon offers um, and that some of these, these bigger box box stores offer. But there's like a certain like customer service and personalization Um and I think just, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess like, okay, when you go on like a, on a, on a through hiker, if you don't just even go backpacking for, for the weekend or, you know, whatever outdoor activity you're doing, um, you know, you'd, you'd like to think that those experiences are relatively unique to yourself. Um, and that the experiences that you're having while other people have experienced those haven't necessarily experienced them the exact same way that you have or that your perspective on it hasn't been exactly the same. And so I, I guess I kind of, I latch to this idea of if you're going to do these really incredible adventures and go on these, go to these really cool places and these, um, unique opportunities, uh, what's the point of bringing something that's incredibly generic along with you? Um, and, uh, that, uh, yeah, uh, that supporting small brands is supporting the story behind them. Um, and, uh, that, uh, that's something I want to do when I'm in places that are meaningful to me is have meaningful gear that was made for me. Um, and I think that comes with smaller batch production where products are just like more carefully inspected and created. Um, when someone's making something by hand, there's like a certain trust factor in terms of you knowing the person who's creating that product where when things are more mass produced, there's like a sense of, uh, there's always errors that happen and, 
Um, you know, return policies are really tricky when you're dealing with uh, with a place like well, can be when you're dealing with a place like Amazon or with some of these bigger distributors. So um, I think there'll always be a a, a spot for um, intentional intentional purchasing and and for customer service to kind of dominate just pure functionality and uh, and ease. Yeah, I like what you said about purchasing small products from small businesses is like you're supporting their story. Um, because it seems like today, you know, the world is all about efficiency and convenience and quality has kind of like gone out the window and it's on the back burner now. People don't really pay attention to that. It's, you know, as long as there's a a popular logo or name brand on it, that's all people right. seem to care about or if it's just cheap, but um it's important to support other people's stories and and uh, people forget about the little guy sometimes uh, just because Amazon is just such a huge, huge thing right now. Sure. Um, it's yeah. it's refreshing to to know that there's a place like Garage Grown Gear where you could actually find this you know niche market of people still still willing to create in this world um, that is so consumed by just a surplus of all the same stuff, and to to be able to carve out a spot that has. Um, handcrafted passion behind it well thanks yeah that means a lot and i think that the the through hiker community is a is a really big one in terms of supporting small businesses um in terms of like uh you know custom packs um are just such a huge deal for for through hikers i mean if you're going to be using a pack for for months on end uh wanting to have it personalized to yourself is uh is really important um and uh, that when you're going to be spending a couple thousand dollars on gear, that you do have that added level of intentionality for it because you just don't need it to last a weekend. Um, you need it to, to last uh, when <laughs> when you're in the uh, worst mental space of your life doing something where you're pushing yourself to your, your physical um, ends. Uh, you want that gear to be able to work and you want that to be able to be situated for yourself. Uh, and that just fosters, I think, a nature of, of of being intentional about your purchases. Right. Through hikers are super, super serious about all their gear because, first off, it's expensive. So you don't want to take crap out on you at any point in time. But yeah, you need it to be able. To, you need to be built to last um, because mm. I mean, it's a backpack. If you're through hiking, it's your house. It's it's everything to you, and um, you really care about that quality. And through hikers are willing to spend that that extra dollar to make sure that their stuff isn't going to fail them out there because, um, I mean, you could even end up in a potentially dangerous situation if any of your stuff fails. Yeah, definitely. So what's your outdoor background? Uh, you had mentioned that you don't have done some kayaking. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned that I, I grew up in Milwaukee, um, which is not necessarily a, uh, sorry to anyone's listened to this from Milwaukee, but not necessarily an outdoorsy hub, I would say. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I grew up um, kayaking on on Lake Michigan, mostly just with friends and little dinky playboats. But uh, just really kind of getting getting wrecked by by uh, by waves, um, not really knowing what we were doing, and that kind of developed into um, an interest for kayaking, interest for canoeing. Um, uh, attended uh, summer camps growing up in the North woods of Wisconsin and then also in the North woods of Minnesota, kind of up by the boundary waters area. Um, and, uh, yeah, that kind of just developed uh, a passion for me for being outside. Um, I think initially it was really just the, the physical 
exertion aspect of it and then kind of through the process of doing it for longer and longer periods of time um, really grew to love the the solitude of it and then uh, yeah as soon as I graduated from high school or I guess um, I yeah I started guiding um, backpacking and uh, and canoeing trips through um, a YMCA camp up in northern Wisconsin called Camp Manitwish and um from uh, from there, I, I I worked at that same camp for uh, for the next ten years, and that was um, started off with guiding trips in the Boundary Waters in uh, northern Minnesota, and then um, on Lake Superior in the Apostle Islands, uh, and then kind of evolved into doing some guiding kayak guiding in uh, in the Georgian Bay, um, on Lake Huron, and uh, from there um, some trips along the North Shore of Lake Superior, and then eventually. Um, some longer, uh, month and a half long trips, um, along the inside passage of Alaska. And then, uh, uh, a, a month and a half of backpacking up in the, uh, the Brooks range of, of Northern Alaska. So, um, yeah, it's been kind of a, a process of kind of bouncing between a lot of different outdoorsy disciplines. But, um, I think the thing that's always kind of attracted to me, it's those kind of trips to me is just the, the long periods of extended wilderness. Um, and that there's something, really wonderful about pushing yourself to your physical limits while being um, in a space where other people aren't, that it's something that's uniquely for yourself and for the people that you are with. Um, and that's a, a pretty amazing experience that um, I imagine is is similar to what through hikers um, experience as well. Uh, and having not through hiked myself, I guess my, my, um, month and a half long trip up in the Brooks range was, was my closest experience to through hiking anything. Um, and, uh, that was, uh, yeah, just an incredible experience to, um, to go through and with a handful of other, other, other guys and, uh, just to, um, yeah, experience a place through a really unique medium of walking slowly across a very, very large expansive place. And that puts a lot of things into perspective. So, yeah, that's kind of my my outdoorsy background. And then I, I the, the high school I taught at was a um, uh, an environmental charter school. So, uh, kind of continued that that passion um, throughout the rest of the year as well. When I wasn't guiding in the summers, and then uh, that led into big outdoors and then garage grown gear. Yeah, I love what you had to say about the importance of kind of getting out there and doing physical activity in in nature because uh, it's hard not to be in the moment when you're just surrounded by vast wilderness and just like the natural beauties of the world that you don't really get to see, um, you know, living in society these days. And it's just very humbling to be out there. And it definitely translates to through hiking and, and all those outdoor activities that you just named. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's something that, um, I mean, I know that people talk about, uh, you know, kind of adjusting your mindset from when you get back from, you know, the, the AT or the PCT or CDT, but, uh, yeah, it definitely is a, is a bit of a shock coming back from one of those experiences and kind of having to reacclimate to having schedules and having, um, you know, uh, I think just like expectations for what your day is going to be like. I think that was always the, the hardest thing for me was coming on back and having to think intentionally about what I was going to do. Um, and initially just really hated having to do that because you get so accustomed to just, uh, 
waking up and essentially following the same routine. And I think there's a simplicity and complexity that comes with that. It's a simple action that fosters complex thinking. And um, uh, there's never there's no experience in my life that I've ever had that uh, that um, fluctuates so quickly between simplicity and complexity. And I think about that frequently um, in terms of, uh, you know, my 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 daily life as well when I'm not um, when I'm not in the backcountry, but, uh, yeah, it's the, the most re- reflective spaces I've ever been in and have been in, in wilderness places. Right. It's, it's kind of like hitting the restart button a little bit, or, or I like to say it's like getting a software update. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a good comparison. What do these trips look like? In terms of, um, kind of like what their structures are. Yeah, you said there's uh, a combination of backpacking and uh, kayaking and stuff. So how do they, yeah, start to finish, how do these? Sure. Yeah, so each one of the trips are actually, they're, um, they're all, all separate trips. So it would just be backpacking for one trip or canoeing for another. Um, okay. And the, the participants are all, all high schoolers. So um, most of our trips are co-led, meaning that, or most of the trips that I did are, are co-led. So it's two leaders um, for some of them, like I did a month long, led a month long trip along the North shore of Lake Superior. And that was just, just myself leading, but, um, yeah, uh, groups of, uh, four to six high schoolers for most of them. And, uh, it's, uh, you get a couple of days with them beforehand before flying out or driving out to wherever you're going. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of an adventure because for all the trips that, that I, that I guided, I had never been to the places before. So I'd never been to the inside uh, passage of Alaska before guiding a trip there. I'd never been to the Brooks range I'd, prior to, uh, to, to leading a trip up there. So a lot of the logistics are planned from, from far away and are based on a lot of reading through other people's trip logs and experiences and just kind of having a general faith that the tool belts of skills that you have are going to be able to translate regardless of, of where you are. Um, and that, uh, yeah, when we started our, our trip up in the Brooks range, it was myself, uh, uh, a co-leader and, um, and, uh, five 17 and 18 year olds. And we were expecting being up, uh, you know, essentially in the Arctic circle, uh, above the tree line that, uh, that it was going to be, that the temperature was going to be uh, a little bit more mild than it was. And we got up there and it was like 85 degrees on, on day one. Uh, mosquitoes were unbelievably bad. And, uh, you know, reality just hits you in the face real quick and you're, you're having to adapt on the fly. Um, and, uh, that's just like a wonderful feeling of being put off balance in a, in a space, which is great. It, uh, it just keeps, it's such, such like a unique and genuine thing that nature would be that unpredictable that despite how much planning you've done from thousands of miles away, that when you show up, uh, the reality of the situation is vastly different than you might've anticipated. Um, so yeah, like for a, for a trip like that, you know, you're bringing two weeks of food with you at a time. Um, we were getting drop-offs from, uh, from, um, from bush planes, um, every, every two weeks on those, on that particular trip. And, uh, you know, for the, for the month and a half that we were out there, we saw two other people other than the bush lane pilots for the entire time. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it really, you just get so accustomed to, to seeing the same six dudes for <laughs> all day, every day. 
Um, and I think it's it's a it's a pretty powerful thing because you know you you get to you get to know people in a context that you just can't get to know them in in uh, in front country life in the same way because you're just not as emotionally dependent on other people uh, when you know when you're living in a city because there's so many other points of contact for you to be able to have conversations or to share your thoughts or just to be alone um, where when you're uh, you know in the middle of nowhere with the same uh, with the same people uh, it doesn't matter if you're if you're 17 or if you're nine um, you know a, a month and a half long trip can be emotionally grinding for a for a leader just as much as it can be for a participant and there's a certain like emotional dependency and reciprocity that's there that's uh, that's pretty unique I think to um, to experiences like like through hiking or, or long distance hiking where it just uh, yeah, it, it it necessitates a certain bonding to be able to to make it through the shared experience that you're living, um, and to be able to even process it, because a lot of the emotions that that at least I found that it, that these kind of experiences stir up in me are experiences that you just can't replicate other places and emotions that you can't replicate. So you're dealing with them for the first time um, in a in a spot that that you're not um, without kind of all the other luxuries that you're usually able to kind of lean on in order to be able to um, kind of process those emotions in a space that's comfortable. So um, yeah, lo logistically it's uh, you know, it's when you're doing trips like these with a bunch of high schoolers that the whole ultralight nature of backpacking really takes a back seat. Um, Cause so much of it comes down to making sure that you uh, have kind of all the liabilities covered of, of guiding. Um, so it's always kind of funny reflecting back on some of the trips that I led and kind of the, the, the weights and stuff that we were carrying around in comparison to how I do personal trips now. But, um, it really does, if anything, tell me that, uh, you know, how you backpack is, is, is totally personal to yourself and that you can have a wonderful experience if you're carrying around a, you know, an 80 pound pack rather than carrying around a 10 pound pack. Um, and that it's kind of really all about what you what you care about on uh, on your experience. Um, and I try to keep that in mind, too, even when I'm, uh, you know, Garage Grown Gear primarily sells ultralight backpacking gear. But, uh, you know, definitely try to keep that in in a in my mindset when uh, considering brands and products to take on. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree that when you're, I guess, backpacking or doing anything for in the backcountry for long periods of times, it does kind of force you to have quality interactions with the people that you're out there with. And um, those kind of sides of yourself that you could get away with hiding in the real world, they come out because you're around these people 24-7 and you're bound to have some breaking points. And it's just, uh, that's another advantage, I think, is getting forced to be vulnerable around people that you, w that you wouldn't, necessarily be able to be vulnerable around had you not been um, dropped into this specific environment and I think that's what we lack in society nowadays is just like people's openness and willingness to connect with connect with other people because everyone's just so closed off and you know head down grinding trying to you know get their daily tax tasks done that they don't really um, explore that connection with with people that they cross paths with every day yeah totally agree but what do you think the importance is of going on these backpacking trips with these kids what do you think it does for them um, being exposed to these backcountry adventures at such a young age well i think more than 
anything, it, I think it helps people to, um, especially high schoolers, to be able to slow down and to put things into perspective. Um, I think it, if I'm remembering correctly what my high school was like, uh, it's a pretty fast pace. You're concerned about seemingly everything and you're concerned about, you know, how other people are viewing you. You're concerned about how every little action that you make and uh, choose has some kind of like seemingly catastrophic impact on, on you as a person. Um, and, uh, I think more than anything, um, these trips like force you to slow down, um, to think, to put things into perspective, uh, if nothing else to like disconnect from social media, from your phone, from your computer. Um, and it kind of all those crutches, I think that people kind of default to, when, uh, when they don't really know what else to do. Um, and I certainly find myself doing that at times as well. Um, and running an online business, I spend way too much time in front of, uh, you know, my computer and technology, but, uh, yeah, I mean that, that unplugging like forces you to be creative. It forces you to think about things. It forces you to, to come to grips with, uh, with complex thoughts and with anxieties. And, you know, uh, when you're hiking, you know, there's just not that much else to think about. You're like forced to think about things that are meaningful and you're forced to grapple with, with ideas. Um, and I think that there's enough ways to, um, kind of escape having really, uh, intentional conversations with yourself in front country life. Um, and I think that, uh, that's really important, I think for kind of the, the maturation process for, uh, for young people in general is to have to grapple with, uh, with complex thoughts and to not just be able to kind of, uh, to bury that. Cause I think that's ultimately where you have issues later on in life where you're suddenly facing, um, problems or conversations that you're just not equipped or prepared to deal with, or just, you know, generally like situations that you haven't conceptualized because you've tried not to. So I think that there is like a real, uh, depth that wilderness tripping does to, uh, to really add to, um, uh, a young person's thought process. Uh, and I've certainly seen that developed in, in, um, individuals that I've, I've led trips with. I've seen it happen with myself and not to sound like a old curmudgeon guy who, you know, talks about the, the youths of the day. But, uh, I think just with the proliferation of, of constant access to media that, uh, you know, you're, you're just not forced to unplug and, and, and think as much as maybe you were before, um, you know, the internet was, was quite as readily available. Yeah, that's spot on that, you know, in today, these kids, uh, there's a disadvantage to being so sheltered and to, to get them to break out into the backcountry and into just like seeing nature and, and getting your head up from your phone for long periods of time. Um, I think it works wonders. And like you said about them being able to grapple with these complex thoughts that might pop into their head and then they could just push aside or pull out their phone and go on Instagram or whatever. People are, they're not thinking about their futures and, you know, or, or their passions because they're so consumed with putting out this image of what they want to appear like on social media or, or even in person. But, um, I think it's super important and I feel like my through hiking experience is probably the most ex the most important experience of my life, and I would say that I grew more during those five months out on the trail than I did in my years of college or anything like that because 
mm-hmm. you're forced to mature and you and you're forced to to yeah to confront your thoughts and confront um the things that you might not be willing to confront in a world of convenience yeah and yeah i think you yeah i mean and just like i'm sure when you were through hiking your uh you know your body gets used to um, a certain, to a certain extent, like kind of mileage that you're putting on it day after day. Not, not to say that it doesn't like, you know, hurt some days more than others, but I think that that, that complex thought is like a muscle that it requires a lot of practice and through hiking and long distance hiking experiences allow you ample opportunities to, to build that muscle and to practice that skill. Um, and if anything, it just gives you a context to be able to, uh, yeah, to, to practice, um, and that it's not easy, but anything like small business that's that's worth doing and worth becoming good at, like requires practice and time and challenge. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be gratifying if it came easy, if uh, if emotional maturity and if, uh, you know, the ability to, to process things deeply happened quickly and effortlessly, then it probably wouldn't be that deep of a thought or that deep of a consciousness. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, after my through hike, it, it was hard to care about the things that I once cared about because I had a new perspective and like, I, I just, I couldn't care about them anymore because I realized that they didn't matter as much as I had once thought they did. And, um, mm. you know, stepping away kind of gives you time to decide what you care about. And I think, yeah. and I think that's what might be the most important thing about it because, if someone, if a kid growing up is just like being told that, oh, you gotta go to, you gotta figure out what you're doing, you have to go to college and do this, and they have no time to actually think for themselves and actually give it some thought. They might be like, oh, well, you know, people like doctors, maybe I'll do that and just jump into something that you might not be passionate about it. And then it, you might become that doctor, but you might not be as good as you could be if you actually were passionate about it. So I think it's important to kind of, to take that break before you jump into a career, where um, I think that's at least the time where it would be most beneficial, just to kind of figure out what you care about and and how you function in in a different environment. Yeah. What were the kind of mental barriers that you dealt with um, making the jump from from teaching into deciding like full on that you wanted to pursue this 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 business model? Yeah, I think. Um one of the biggest barriers was that teaching is just so relationship oriented and you know, businesses as well, but it, uh, but it's different. It's, it's less face to face and especially being an online business means that a lot of my communication is over the phone. Um, it's via email. Our entire team works remotely. So, uh, I'm based here in the twin cities. We've got a couple interns that are here in, uh, in the twin cities, but other than that, our, our team members are out in, in Idaho, Montana, Colorado, uh, kind of spread all over. So it is really a, um, it's a, it's a community and a company that exists, uh, in multiple different spaces. Um, and as someone who finds themselves very connected to, um, I don't know, the kind of structures that come with, um, uh, I guess like institutions like schools that are, are very solid. Um, I was concerned that, uh, that this would be tough for me, not, you know, always being around a ton of other people, um, in just in terms of like physical proximity. And I, I was definitely, uh, really, 
relieved and have been really happy by the fact that I, I haven't really felt that. Um, you know, even though our, our team is rem- it does work remotely um, by the power of of, uh, of the Internet, uh, we do see each other all the time and, uh, you know, simulate as much of a uh, a uh, togetherness as I think is possible for a uh, for a uh, company that is is based remotely. And I think that we're seeing that a lot more in terms of a lot of the brands we work with kind of have team members that are kind of all over the place because you can do that when you exist in the online space. Um, and I think I was also concerned, you know, teaching is, is such a, uh, uh, there's su- such a mission to teaching. There's such like an inherent, uh, sense of like giving back, uh, such a sense of, uh, working to like, uh, better your community and your society and your, in your world. There's something that, uh, that I've always been driven to in teaching that is, that is, that is selfless. That's uniquely for others. And I think I initially, when thinking about transitioning fully over to business, had a hard time thinking of it as I'm going to go from teaching to essentially sales. Um, and on like a very superficial level, that really is the case. You go from, uh, teaching children and high schoolers about, uh, things that you think are important to, uh, trying to get people to buy, gear. Um, and I think, uh, uh, what I've found out in the last, uh, year or so is that it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And that it's, it's good that it's a lot more complicated than that. Cause if it wasn't, it wouldn't be, uh, particularly fulfilling or sustaining. Um, but, uh, there is something I think really to be said in, uh, I don't know if anything ever kind of replaces the rewards that you find in teaching, but there's something pretty awesome knowing that you're part of someone's trip you're part of someone's experience that's going to allow them to be able to go out into natural spaces and uh, and really enjoy themselves um, in that context. Uh, and that's pretty powerful. Hearing from customers, um, knowing from from um, that you're supporting the work that that your brands are doing. Uh, Amy, the Garage Grown Gear founder, always talks about uh, the gear bump which is, as she says, when you get that new piece of gear, it just motivates you that much more to get yourself outside to try it out. And that's an idea that I certainly latch to and resonate with. And it's it's not that you should need new gear to get yourself outside. I don't think that's the right mindset. But I think most people would be lying uh, to themselves that as soon as they got a new backpack or a new tent or a new base layer, that the first thing that they're going to do is go and want to use it. Um, and that that is a is a certainly a motivating factor and something that that uh, that is exciting and knowing that the gear that that they're buying through us maybe it's not a a, a life changing piece of gear but it, it could be that that as you said right towards the beginning that that you know that that tarp you know because it's a good tarp might be the something that that uh, keeps them from getting drenched which keeps them from getting hypothermia that keeps them from getting in some you know sticky situation that they really shouldn't be in uh so uh yeah i i think that there's a lot of things especially going from something that's as demanding as teaching to going into something like entrepreneurship while there are a ton of overlaps in terms of i think kind of just the the dynamic nature of of both of those professions that uh there um i've been i've been I guess more surprised than I thought and pleasantly surprised that uh, I, I feel a certain sense of fulfillment in both. What is it like working for a remote business? Most of the times it's really great. Um, I like the fact that I, that all of us can kind of work from wherever. 
people, you know, very frequently take off to be able to do the kind of activities that they like to do. Uh, if that's like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll try to get on the call with someone and to find that they're, that they're skiing all morning, um, or that they went out like mountain biking. Um, and, uh, and that's really, that's really wonderful that our jobs allow us to not only support businesses, but also like actively live a lifestyle that we're trying to promote. And I think that that's something that working remotely really does. It doesn't tie you to a place. It ties you to an idea and you have to do your, your work and you have to do that with the, with the notion that, uh, you know, the lifestyle that you're living is not possible without the work that you do. Um, but that uh, there's a certain freedom and flexibility that comes with being able to make your own schedule, to not being tied to a physical place, um, to be able to not just be confined to, you know, standard geography. Uh, I love Jackson. I really like uh, Driggs, Idaho, but I I, I don't want to live there. Um and uh, that's nothing against anyone who does, but uh, I like living in the Midwest. I've lived in Midwestern cities my entire life, and I, I think that's uh, kind of where I'm where I'm happiest. And I also love the fact that uh, we've got team members that that do like that that mountain town uh, lifestyle, and that they should be able to live there and do the work that they do. Um, and that garage grown gear is is something that is able to make that make that happen. So, uh, yeah, we do like a lot of weekly meetings. Um, I meet daily with, uh, some of our different team members. We're still a pretty small team ourselves. We've got, uh, four, um, four employees and two interns at this point. And so, uh, uh, kind of all with different kind of skill sets related to e-commerce and it kind of just fits together in a, in a puzzle that, that makes things float. So, um, yeah. It's great. I love working remotely. I think it would be really hard to do anything else at this point. <laughs> so working remotely, do you have um, a set hourly schedule or is it like as long as you get the work done within today or within this week, you have the freedom to, to go out and do those activities? How does that work? Kind of depends. I have a pretty, I have definitely the most fixed schedule in terms of all of our, of our team as a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, um, uh, the one who kind of does the, the most, um, kind of immediate in your face aspects of garage grown gear in terms of the order fulfillment, uh, customer service, all of those things kind of have more concrete deadlines in terms of when they need to get done. And we try to be pretty fastidious about making sure that, you know, we get back to customers within an hour or with a, not within an hour, within a day. Uh, sometimes we get back in an hour, but, uh, you know, within like reasonable time frames. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, definitely someone who has a pretty strict schedule to their day, but, uh, in terms of like, you know, a lot of the stuff that, uh, goes into running an online business or things like putting newsletters together and posting things to Facebook and writing blogs. And those things are kind of all, and also just doing a lot of email outreach are all things that can kind of happen on schedules that are your own. And as long as they happen by a certain deadline, it doesn't really matter if you create and draft up that email at two o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the morning, as long as I get to see it 24 hours before it goes out. Great. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, our, our, the meetings that we have are, are fixed times where we need people to be, um, at them. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a certain, 
I think trust that has has worked for us that um, things get done when by the time they need to get done by. And we really haven't had uh, much issues with that up until this point. So I definitely feel fortunate about that and, and really credit um, our team for being able to just like hold themselves to very high standards, both um, for garage grown gear, but then ultimately for the brands that we work with and represent. So what was your process in learning how uh, a remote business works like this in, in regards to, you know, marketing and uh, advertising, stuff like that? How did you learn yourself about all this stuff? Were there like books that you read or just Googling stuff? How did you get from special ed teacher to CEO of this company? Definitely uh, a lot of Googling, a lot of asking questions, um, a lot of relying on the brands that uh, that we work with. Um, our uh, Cloudline Socks, uh, Joe and Austin, over uh, over with them uh, are uh, well. Austin in particular was just an incredible resource for me in terms of being able to chat about like what is Instagram, how do you use it, uh, how um, how can you grow it, how do you build your audience, and um, as well as uh, yeah, uh, they've been really successful off of Pinterest, um, which is like a social media source that I think no one really thinks about too much, but is like a huge generator of web traffic for businesses that use it well. Um, and uh, yeah, he was pretty instrumental in kind of pointing me towards kind of just what um, what uh, e-commerce is really all about. And then, uh, you know, companies like um, Hyperlight Mountain Gear have been really helpful in terms of uh, answering a, a whole bunch of my questions about kind of what they do with newsletters, how they invest their money in terms of their marketing, um, well, in money and energy. Um, same with uh, Enlightened Equipment. They're another Minnesota company, and and Tim, uh, who, who found Enlightened Equipment, has uh, and, uh, someone who's just, uh, you know, a lot of people in this industry are are in it because it is relationship oriented and are, are really willing to be able to share their experiences and their successes and their failures because there's a lot of both. And then a lot of it comes just with like, I mean, one of the, the best things about running a small business is that you can try things. And if they don't work, you either scrap them or you think differently about how to do them. And then you and then you run the play differently the next time around. And then you do have to be kind of forgiving to yourself. But I remember being at Outdoor Retailer a couple, two, I guess two years ago, and having someone talk about how big companies are whales and little companies are sharks. And, uh, you know, uh, big, big whales might be kind of intimidating, but they take a really long time to be able to change, a really long time to be able to move. Uh, whereas sharks are able to, uh, they're able to pivot. They're able to latch onto something that's working and just go with it. Um, and for us recently, um, we've been kind of trying to experiment with ways to be able to collaborate with a lot of the different brands that we work with. So we've launched two big giveaways in the last year, both with uh, um, some of our, um, with just a bunch of our different brands and both of them have been really successful in terms of kind of gaining exposure for garage grown gear. And I think that, uh, you know, that's something that I, I, I didn't really had that much experience with before running them, but, you know, after we ran the first one, being able to reflect on that and think about what really went well and what went wrong and kind of all of those things that just helped put other things into perspective. And I think just like never being content with the fact that like, okay, something worked well, we're just going to run that same thing again, but constantly being able to think about 
what what is creative and what can we add to what kind of value can we add to our community that they're going to find is interesting and that they aren't getting other places because you know the last thing anyone as an entrepreneur ever wants to do i feel like or at least that i want to do is do something that's already been done and uh, that doesn't add anything new to the market uh i don't you know if there was another garage grown gear out there that was doing exactly what we were doing and was doing it better um you know i don't know where the motivation would be for for me um, but there isn't right now. So there's uh, certainly a, a, always a, a push for us to to do better. Um, and uh, yeah, just to, to try things relentlessly and be okay with failing. And then to surround yourself with people with complementary skill sets. Uh, Amy, um, you know, has kind of been doing this entrepreneur thing for a while. She started a pack rafting company a while back and then started garage groom gear in 2014. So I've been able to really learn through her successes and failures as well. Um, and then similarly, uh, individuals like, uh, like Bubba from, uh, from giver who uh, is just like an endless resource for being able to share his experiences with launching Kickstarters and, uh, you know, all each company that we work with has a very unique story in terms of how they got to be where they're at. Uh, which gives me plenty of material to look at and say, okay, well, uh, those are things that, you know, companies did really well to begin with, or these are things that we definitely want to avoid. Um, so certainly ample, ample sample sizes to be able to, to pick from, but, um, yeah. And then to some extent I'm still definitely learning and, uh, still definitely figuring it out. Um, but, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of growth with garage grown gear. So I'm, I'm going to take that as a, uh, it's okay not to have everything figured out. We can, we can still do some things on the fly and, uh, still be a company that's growing and doing good things. It's refreshing to hear that these other companies are so willing to kind of share their experience with you and let you get acclimated that much quicker. But, um, just to know that there is a good commute community or a communal sense in um, the businesses that Garage Grown Gear is connected with. Yeah, definitely. So through your experience um, in growing, I guess, a following, be it on Instagram or Facebook, how do you think that you did it best? Because um, you guys have, uh, like, how many followers at this point? Yeah, uh, around 20,000 followers on Instagram right now. So how do you think that you were successful in growing a following? Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to thinking about the kind of content that that our customers want. Um, we definitely are our brand. I know I think like every brand says like we listen to our customers. We want to put forth stuff that our that our customers want. Um, but I think um, being the kind of the size company that we are, uh, we and that we really like do pride ourselves on having good customer service and being approachable um, and be knowledgeable about what we sell that uh, we really do try to put customers first, thinking about like what what could be fun and engaging for customers? What kind of newsletters do they want to be receiving? Do you want to be receiving sales? Do you want to be receiving stories? Do you want to be, uh, you know, receiving um, gear reviews? Do you want like, you know, more theoretical concepts of of uh, around backpacking, like what what kind of material are you looking for? What do, what does our audience want um, in terms of how to best uh, gain an understanding of the types of brands that we work with? 
So some of that has been, uh, well, a lot of that has been just from hearing feedback. Like we know our customers really like hearing stories about the brands we work with. They like seeing posts about, uh, you know, um, what, uh, how, uh, how Vormi got its start or, um, you know, good to go. Like what, what type of good to go meals, um, are, you know, hitting the market in the, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've, but a lot of that's just kind of come through seeing what customers engage with most, um, and, and, and what our community engages with most, uh, Instagram, you know, that's, uh, Instagram is such a game in and of itself. Uh, you know, we've, we've grown our, our audience a lot organically, uh, a lot through giveaways, uh, um, and a, a lot through, I think people just being interested in, in, in hearing what, what small, small brands are up to. Um, I mean, we primarily do kind of our, our marketing through our, our Facebook, our Instagram and through our, uh, our email newsletters. And that's, those are our three kind of main points of contact with, uh, with our customers and with our clients or not clients, uh, community. I realize that you guys are always posting like amazing pictures. Where do those come from? Mostly from our brands. Uh, I wish to say, I wish I could tell you that, that most of those photos are our own, but, uh, you know, we are kind of, uh, limited by the, uh, by the fact that, um, we don't, we don't have like a, a huge team of people that are kind of dedicated to doing that. We do have some photos that we, that we have from our ambassadors, um, who do actively create really great content for us, but we're also just really fortunate in that, you know, we work with 50 or so, uh, brands that each one of them takes really great photos of their of their products in really cool places. So uh, you know our brands are more than happy to provide us with really incredible photography um, because ultimately we're uh, we're doing work to support them. So a lot of it is their is their own photography. Uh, definitely, as we grow, I'd love for more of it to be photography that's coming organically from Garage Grown Gear, from our ambassadors, uh, from our influencers. Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully something that'll that'll happen more in the future. Cool. Yeah, there's been many times where I'm just scrolling through my feed and I stop. And I'm like, wow, that's a cool picture. And then it's from you guys. And I'm just like, how do they get all these great shots? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you that I was taking those myself because then that would imply that I was in those places. But uh, no, uh, one of the biggest uh, downsides of of uh, of running a running a business, and we were talking about this a little bit before, but just you know the the inability to uh, always just you know go away places for extended periods is is uh, is a little stifled when you when you have to be responsible to uh, to emails and orders and and all of that, which is a uh, you know a, a fine trade off. But there is definitely some nostalgia for times where uh, you know the the decision of being able to go away for two or three weeks and. Uh, and uh, go on go on a trip that you have been uh, thinking about for a long time is a little less little less possible at this current juncture. Um, but certainly, that's we're we're building towards being able to be a size of a company where, uh, you know, uh, I I eventually will have the ability to do that, and the company will still be able to to, to operate on a daily basis. I'm sure you look forward to that. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like I mean, as CEO, I'm sure you have the bulk of the responsibilities, like you're saying. So you might, you don't have the luxury as other people work remotely might have as just dropping everything and, and heading out into the woods or something. Yeah. Not, not quite as much. I've got my, my first big trip here planned as I, uh, for a little later this summer, um, uh, going to go to Thailand for two weeks. 
and that'll be the uh, the first real step away from garage grown gear over the past year and a half um, for more than just a couple days. So, um, yeah, well, uh, I've, I'm very confident that everything will be fine. But um, yeah, when you're um, when you've got a small team uh, and you remove one of one of the pieces from it, it's always a little little nerve wracking. That's awesome. Uh, what do you plan to do in Thailand? Uh, just a family trip. Um, my mom retired this year and decided that uh, she would take myself and my brother to Thailand. So I uh, could not object to that. Congrats, so. mom! <laughs> yeah, it'll be a you know a different experience than uh, than backpacking around, but uh, it'll be a fun one. I haven't done too much international traveling, so it'll be good. That sounds amazing. And like we said, like you you get these uh, interactions with people that are so much more genuine and real when you're out traveling that mm-hmm. I, I bet that's going to be a great experience. Even, you know, even with people that you're as close with as your family, there's always more to be learned about the people around you. And I think that'll be a really cool trip. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked about it. If you could um, summarize the customers of Garage Grown Gear, how would you describe them? Like, who are your customers? W- what is the demographic of Garage Grown Gear? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really all over the place. Um, uh, and I think that kind of just speaks to the fact that uh, that being outdoors is not something that's that's localized to a, a certain demographic. Um, we have a lot of through hikers that purchase gear from us. I think because it's you know it is a place where you can get a lot of brands that you're interested in for through hiking um, all in all in one spot. And I think there's a certain attraction to that. Um, we also get a lot of people that are interested in more. Uh, you know, shopping small, shopping locally. I think, I think that there is certain, like a certain um, uh, congruency between like the whole shop, shop local, as well as the shop, um, like shopping small. And uh, I think we get kind of some of the crowd that is interested in, in kind of supporting more local, more regionalized businesses. Uh, certainly like the, the, a lot of our customers are interested in products that are that are made in America, and we do sell a lot of products that are made here in the United States. We do sell some products that aren't, but uh, a large portion of our products are made here in the United States. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think like our 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 pretty like standard, uh, you know, if I had to like think about the the probably like average age of a customer is somewhere probably in their, in their late twenties at garage grown gear. But we certainly have a, have a, yeah, you know, like a lot of through hikers are, are in their early twenties. And we also get a a lot of, uh, a lot of individuals who are retired and find themselves with uh, time on their hands to be able to go hiking and are, and do a ton of research about gear. And then, um, you know, ultimately find themselves making a purchase through Garage Grown Gear because they they support what what we're doing and the stories that we're telling and the and the brands that we're working with, and uh, a lot in between there. Um, but uh, yeah, and we also have like a, a pretty vibrant um, international community as well. Uh, you know, I think there is a certain attraction for international customers who don't want to pay shipping costs from, you know, four different companies to buy stuff, uh, that they can just come to garage grown gear and pay one shipping cost to, to be able to get stuff to them. So we found that to be a, a, a growing demographic, um, as well. But, uh, yeah, 
kind of all over the place and we definitely try to uh, keep that in mind when we're creating content or thinking about adding in new products that, you know, some products sell really well with certain demographics and some don't. But we're certainly trying to expand the the products that we offer so that we can kind of hit a, a, a diverse range of, of ages of, uh, you know, uh, have enough um, gear and clothing options for both men and women. But then uh, also, you know, for there's the whole other demographic of like different types of, of outdoorsy people. Um, while, you know, uh, while through hikers are, uh, you know, spend a lot of money when they're going on through hikes, you know, your, your average backpacker is kind of your weekend warrior. Um, and they want, uh, you know, they're just as interested in, in, in gear as your through hiker or or can be as interested and uh you know they're uh, a, 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 certainly a, a much larger population so um you know there's through hikers and then there's aspiring through hikers and everything else that kind of falls in between there so uh it's a it's a huge demographic um but i think the thing that kind of ties them all together is is it a desire to feel like when you're purchasing something that you're doing something beyond just the monetary exchange you're not just you know paying for something uh or supporting uh you know some big box or some uh some big manufacturer that isn't appreciating it uh you know we appreciate it and the brands that we carry uh appreciate it and that the uh, i think that yeah customers want to feel some kind of sense of contributing to something larger than themselves like very genuinely they are um those purchases support what we do it supports the platform that we run and uh, ultimately what we're able to do for our companies. Awesome. And of course, provide the customer with uh, the gear bump. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like that saying. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I've kind of, I've definitely latched onto it. So what's the process of um, like testing out the gear after you get into contact with the company and um, you have some traction about selling their stuff on your site? Um, is there a process that you have to go through of testing the gear to make sure that it's of good enough quality to be sold under the Garage Grown Gear brand? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, I would be lying if I said I, I tested every single product on our site, but I, I do get samples from all the new brands that we onboard. So, you know, like I have not uh, tried out every single pair of Cloudline socks Um I have not uh, used, uh, you know, all of Superior Wilderness Designs packs, but like I've I've used uh, enough products from the different brands that we work with to be able to get a, a sense of of the quality of the of the manufacturing um, and uh, uh, enough to be able to at least speak to the materials um, that are used. Whenever we look at onboarding a new brand, typically. Um, you know, one of the things that, again, we've been fortunate to be able to have is that a lot of times we're getting brands reaching out to us now, which means that when a brand reaches out, you know, we're more than welcome to always chat with a brand that's got a that's got an idea or that's got products that we think are interesting. But we typically start off the conversation by saying, yeah, uh, we'd love to check out what you've got going on. Like, send us a sample and we'll be happy to take a look. And if it seems like something that we think would be a good fit, then uh, we'll we'll reach back out and, and we'll start up the conversation. Um, and th that's not in an attempt to just like get free stuff and test it, but it's, it really is an attempt of, since we are a curated site, uh, you know, we're not a backcountry.com or an REI where you're just inundated by options. Uh, we, we want our site to be browsable. We want our site to be able to have, um, uh, you know, to have each one of our products and brands be able to be seen. 
we have some of our brands that are on backcountry, and there's nothing wrong with backcountry, but uh, you know they're buried on there. Um, unless you're searching for that particular brand, you're never going to find them. Um, and so, in an attempt to, I think, really try to update or to really uphold a sense of uh, uh, of curation of um, of selectiveness to our our uh, to our site, we do yeah ask for samples up front. We test them, um, even if it's like. You know, uh, we've added a couple of new food brands here recently, like, uh, yeah, just trying out some meals and seeing if they taste good. And then if they are and, you know, we like the people that that make them, then, uh, you know, that's a that's a good endorsement from us. Um, and we definitely test some stuff where we think to ourselves, you know what, um, I don't think that this really would 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 resonate with our community. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad product It just, you know, might not be our exact target to um, you know, we do cater a lot towards ultralight backpackers. That's a, a big niche market that that we operate in. And so uh, things that are excessively heavy or have excessive material or more kind of lifestyle-y might not have a, have a spot on Garage Grown Gear. And again, it doesn't mean that it's not a good product, it just might not be the best place for it. Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of, kind of varies. But uh, yeah, we we test it. You know, I I take things on on overnights pretty frequently. That's kind of definitely like a fun part of uh, of, of of running garage grown gear is being able to try out a lot of samples um, and then review them. Like we, I love doing gear reviews. They're fun. Um, you know, some of our our the gear reviews we do are promotional, but a bunch of them are just gear that uh, that we like and uh, that we want to want to spread the good news about. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a process of not wanting to put anything that sucks in front of our customers. Um, because ultimately that's, uh, that's not doing anyone any favors. If we're selling something from a brand and, uh, and our customers aren't liking it, they're not happy. Our brand's not happy and we're not happy. So, um, yeah. What's a company or a product that you guys sell that you think deserves a little bit more recognition? Ooh. Um, well, uh, I read about this probably too frequently, but I love fanny packs. Um, and it's a, a piece of gear that I kind of fixate on. But uh, through pack um, in Paul Thomas, who makes them, um, Paul is an awesome dude who uh, hiked the, uh, the AT and the PCT, I believe. Um, uh, yeah, he started like making these like ultralight fanny packs. Um, or I think he calls them uh, 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 bum bags right now. Um, not fanny packs. Sorry, Paul, if you're listening. Um, but, uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're great. They're just like, I think the, uh, an incredibly, uh, useful way, especially as like ultralight packs, like, I don't know, like the packs that I grew up having always had brains to them. Um, always some area where I could like cram other stuff in. And, uh, you know, as I've, you know, gone towards more ultralight packs, there's just not a lot of stuff, a lot of space to cram your stuff on, on the outside of your pack. So fanny packs for me are a really easy way to have, uh, everything that you need right in front of you. Um, if that's like, uh, you know, just like your chapstick or, uh, or your compass, um, or, or like a spot to be able to tuck your maps in that you're not having to take your pack off to access. It's just really nice to have things right in front of you, like your headlamp or your lighter or whatever. Um, so that's a piece of gear that I think doesn't get quite enough, uh, quite enough recognition. Um, I think the guys, uh, I think Brandon and Ashley over at Superior Wilderness Designs are like really building some wonderful momentum in terms of the the packs that they're creating but i still think that uh the the products that they're creating um and what what they're doing 
is something that's not quite uh, as visible as it should be given the quality of packs that they're making. Um, so those would be, I guess, two brands that I would look at and say, uh, those are, are two companies that are doing really cool things and are, uh, done by really, really great people and whose products should, uh, definitely get, a um, a, a lot of love from the outdoor community. Awesome. Yeah. I've seen, I haven't seen, uh, what's it called? Wilderness designs, uh, superior wilderness designs, superior wilderness designs, but I have seen the through pack and I think it is really cool. Like I would, if I was doing another through hike, I would totally get one in. And I like uh, how they look too. They have really cool designs, right? There's like galaxies or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're comfy straps, which are like these like incredibly uh, comfortable, you know, straps for fanny packs. Have really have really fun designs. So uh, yeah, he's uh, Paul's a Paul's a character in a really good way, and it and it shows in the work that he does. That's cool. It's kind of ironic that um, through hikers, these people that are just like kind of grunging around in the woods for months on end care so much about like you know their gear and how things right. look uh, aesthetically and uh, right. i think through packs definitely tapping into that as well as as being ultra light which is obviously huge right now yeah that is funny like if you thought about you know i think people who uh, would look at through hikers and, and weren't familiar with with the hiking community or the outdoor community would would look at through hikers as uh you know like kind of like cheap dirt bags um who are uh you know but then you look at the kind of gear that they have and the amount, like no one, I don't think anyone who doesn't hike has any idea of the kind of the cost that goes into people's gear or like the intentionality, um, or it's, uh, it's like far more complicated than I think a undiscerning eye would actually be able to tell like that, that backpack that looks really grungy and that's all beat up is like a $300 pack. Uh, and you know, uh, everything that that person has is like really intentional and, you know, isn't just, uh, thrown together carelessly, but, uh, you know, is, is understood by other through hikers, but not by, not by general public. I don't think. Right. Despite what people may think it's expensive to, to be hiker trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are the goals of garage grown gear? Well, we'd very much like to continue along a trajectory that we're moving along. Um, I mean, we, we love supporting the work of small brands. I mean, I think we'd like to further be able to, to grow our, our blog. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, are in the same town as, uh, as gear junkie. We know them really well, love what, what they do in terms of being a, a media outlet for, uh, for the outdoor industry. And I think we'd, we'd really like to, uh, to be able to continue to grow our, our, um, our blog as a platform to be able to really spread the news about Kickstarters, new products, new brands, new stories, um, and be able to just continue to do that on a, on a larger level. Um, kind of more on like a businessy note, uh, we are starting and and have licensed uh, several products that are sold um, exclusively through Garage Grown Gear. I think that that is definitely like a, a way forward for for e-commerce and online sales in general, just as a way to differentiate yourself from all the other retailers that are out there. Um, and that comes at from looking at uh, looking at brands that uh, might have a really neat product, might have a really cool idea, um, but don't necessarily know how to do all the other aspects around it. Um, maybe they're not particularly in tune with marketing. Maybe they're not particularly in tune with how to um, source materials. 
and being able to step into that space and take a brand that uh, that you know might be stuck in uh, in kind of like a small startup phase and be able to build it into a larger a larger company and to really use Garage Grown Gear as a scaffold for that because um, there's a lot of brands out there that uh, that have really good ideas um, and you know maybe it's not their full time job. And, uh, you know, maybe they can't they can't do all of their order fulfillment or maybe they can't handle, uh, you know, putting out their their newsletter each week because, uh, you know, they have, they've got another full time gig. So finding ways to work with brands to be able to to more be more hands on in 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 uh, relation to helping them run their business um, or create their products or do their marketing um, and really kind of uh, being able to take eventually being able to take a brand uh, regardless of where it's at, if it's an idea if it's at a prototype, if it's at a medium-sized brand and being able to say, okay, we can come in uh, and we can utilize the resources that we have to be able to build your brand in all of these different, very genuine ways. So I think that's the, that's the long-term goal. I think that's the, the long-term key to success for us is to be able to, uh, to continue the brands that we have those types of relationships with. Um, we currently um, license a product called the pull kilometer, um, which is essentially a uh, an inclinometer that you put on a on a ski pole. It's a sticker that helps you uh, tell the the angle of uh, any kind of um, incline that you'd be going down, and uh, and that's something that has really been kind of a, a kickoff experience for us in terms of figuring out how to run and develop a brand from um, from a fairly early on stage. And uh, we've got a couple of other things in the works in terms of other brands that we are looking to do similar agreements with that we're hoping will uh, kind of materialize here in the next uh, in the next couple of months. So, yeah, I think it really comes down to looking for ways to be able to support brands in ways that they, they currently don't have that type of support and being able to leverage the experience that we have and the resources that we have through Garage Grown Gear to be able to do that. If someone is... I guess developing a brand or a product and they want an opportunity to possibly sell on your on your site. What would you tell them to do? Uh shoot me an email at Lloyd at garagegrowngear.com and I will get back to you. Um Yeah, it, it really is uh it really is that easy. Um it's not that like, you know, we're absolutely gonna take your brand on our site, but uh that that conversation point, you know, you you don't have to go through like an info at um uh it's uh you know you, you'll you'll get a you'll get a response and I don't know I, I talk to brands pretty frequently some of which I I, I know going into it aren't going to necessarily be good fits but uh, you know you never really know where a conversation is going to take you um, or where where that person uh, who that person is going to tell about you know the conversation that you that you had so I, I'm definitely really open to kind of talk to talk to people at, at various stages of their business. Um, and not that I'm not that I'm an expert at all. I'm not. Um, but, uh, certainly willing to kind of share the experiences that I've had. If that's like, you know, I talk to people who are interested in, uh, should we launch Kickstarter? Is that the best way to grow our business? Um, does working with, uh, you know, uh, online retailers make sense? Um, you know, there's a lot of companies that do just direct sales, and a lot of companies have a lot of success with that, just selling through their own website or just selling to brick and mortar stores. And that's that's great. You know, that's that's one way to approach it. Um, but, uh, yeah, if I'd say if there was any anyone who was thinking about starting a business or was was interested in kind of picking someone's brain um, who works with a lot of different startups. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always always willing to hop on a call or 
look at some new product or tell you if I think it's a good idea or not. And if it's, if it's not, I'll tell you that too. Uh, cause you know, um, <laughs> there's no, there, there'd be nothing worse than sinking a whole bunch of time and energy into a product that's no good. Uh, and, uh, yeah, or, or if there's no, no, no real, uh, need or desire for it in the market. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty personal exchange there. I'd say. Awesome. That's great. That's good to know that people, that it is, so streamlined, straight to you, and you can check it out, and you're personable enough to talk it out with them and and work it out and see what uh or where it can go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's fun for me too. It's nice to kind of uh yeah. You, you, sometimes you hear uh, get emails about like yeah, I've just like thought about this when I was you know going to sleep last night, and I was wondering if there was anything like it in the market. I'm like, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> that might have been like a 2 a.m. thought that you just had, but uh, <laughs> maybe there's an idea there. So for anyone who is visiting Minnesota or St. Paul, um, being that you are a local, are there any spots or adventures that you would recommend? Uh, I would recommend visiting the Twin Cities and appreciating them for their urban context uh, and then uh, heading up north pretty quickly. Um, we are really fortunate to have uh, the Boundary Waters, which is just a beautiful chain of uh, thousands of different lakes um, up in northern Minnesota. Um, you like, uh, I know canoeing culture isn't necessarily as big in other parts of the country as it is in the Midwest, but uh, it's some of the best canoeing you can have anywhere. Um, and then north of that is the Quetico in uh, in southern Ontario. That is just, uh, it's the Boundary Waters, but less uh, less populated and, and more rustic. Um, and just two beautiful areas for, for canoeing. Uh, we've got um, Isle Royale, which is the uh, largest island on the largest lake um, in the world. Uh, so that would be the largest lake on Lake Superior, which is has some really fantastic backpacking um, you know, uh, Midwestern backpacking, if you're, if you're used to the Tetons or if you're, uh, you know, used to, um, uh, you know, backpacking up in Banff, you're going to, you're going to maybe have a, a little bit of a, a letdown, um, in terms of kind of the elevation that exists here in the Midwest. But, uh, Isle Royale is beautiful. The Superior Hiking Trail, which is, um, uh, a trail that uh, goes along the the north shore of Lake Superior is uh, just a really really beautiful um, uh, really beautiful hiking location that uh, you know it's definitely a, I think a rite of passage if you're a Midwestern backpacker uh, and then just having Lake Superior there is it's definitely one of the most premier um, kayaking locations in the world um, not that I've you know, kayak to two internationally, but, uh, it's pretty fantastic. You get, uh, kind of some of the conditions that people love in oceans, but on a lake and, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's gorgeous. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, deceptively wonderful outdoor activities that exist here in Minnesota, but a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of good stuff here in the twin cities as well. But, uh, I think the, uh, the Northern parts of the state, I think are certainly the, uh, the Mecca of outdoor activities. Is there anything that you would like to plug um, in regards to either Garage Grown Gear or yourself where you could steer people to go, um, website, social media, all that? You could just rattle that off. Sure. Yeah. If uh, if you're interested in, in learning more about Garage Grown Gear and the brands that, uh, that we carry and kind of um, what we're up to, uh, you can find us at garagegrowngear.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram at 
Garage Grown Gear and similarly on Facebook, something along the similar lines of Garage Grown Gear. And uh, yeah, you know, we work with a ton of different brands, so I'm pretty confident that anyone who is into the outdoors is able to find um, products that they're interested in. So uh, we uh, ask us questions, give us feedback. We love hearing from our community. Um, so uh, yeah, check it out and cruise around and learn some things about companies that you didn't know existed. All right, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on, and um, I mean, it's been awesome interacting with you, and I'm happy to plug Garage Grown Gear at the front of these episodes because I think what you guys are doing is awesome. That's appreciated, Dom. All right, thanks again, Lloyd. Yep, take care. Take care. All right, thank you for listening. If you or anyone you know is interested in being interviewed, please shoot an email to hikertrashpod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hiker Trash Pod and on Facebook. And until next time, happy trails.